1: I'm here today to talk with David Hull about his new translation of Zhang Tianyi's The Pigeon Warrior. Welcome back to New Books in East Asian Studies, Dave, and thanks so much for being with me today.
0: Thank you so much, Carla.
1: So we, you are now a regular um, at the, <laughs> the New Books in East Asian Studies podcast. We've actually spoken before about your translation of Mao Dun's Waverings. So I'm not going to ask you the questions that I ask first-timers, because we been there we're beyond that we've progressed (laughs) so instead I'll ask you this Dave and I can um, when this comes out I can post um, the link to the previous one for listeners what have you been up to since we last spoke for the podcast
0: well, um, for for better or ill, a lot of my time has been uh in, in moving. Uh I'm extraordinarily happy to announce that I am now on a a, a beautiful position at Washington College here in Chestertown, Maryland.
1: Yay, congratulations.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Um the uh the downside for productivity is as you know, moving and getting established and, and rebuilding things takes a little bit of uh, of time. So um I've been doing small projects here and there, but mostly just getting established, building a new Chinese language program, all that good stuff.
1: Fabulous. And yes, I do absolutely (laughs) sympathize. Um, Listeners who don't know, I also recently moved um, to a new country, my old country. U.S. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> the new house. And Dave has been um, getting updates from me all the time about my very, very old new house and all of its issues that we will not talk about anymore. <laughs> What we will talk about um, is this fabulous book. So the book we're talking about today is another translation. And this is a translation of a novel that is set in 1930s Shanghai during wartime. So Dave, let's kind of get into it by talking about the genesis of the project. What brought you to this particular book as something that you wanted to translate?
0: well uh, this is another um, one of the brilliant seeds that was planted in a uh, seminar way back in graduate school um, uh, Ted Huters' one of his classes we read a little bit of John ke and I was just... Uh, really struck by his, his use of language. He has an amazing, um, Zhang Tianyi has this amazing, uh, facility with, with language. And in particular, he has this kind of magic of, of delivering accents and delivering unique voices in a way that is, um, is, is not overwhelming, like, uh, you'll, you'll sometimes find, um, he, he, Zhang Tianyi has a standard bai Hua kind of uh, voice, um, but his characters speak out in 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 very clean ways. Obviously, the um, the language uh, is a, is a challenge for a translator. But the the other thing that that really drew me is it's just funny. Um, <laughs> Zhang Tianyi has a has an amazing comic uh, way of of satirizing. Um, Everything from slapstick to to you know fairly subtle uh, commentary satire, and so after I I finished Waverings, I was looking for an, another project, uh, and um, luckily the one of the editors over at uh, Blesser Press, who uh, put out the book, um, I got in touch with him, and he said, "Oh my God, I remember this from from a, when I was a kid, I read this when I was young, and it's it's you know something uh, that that he found." fabulous and had wonderful memories of. And so, you know, happily, we came together over that.
1: Oh, my gosh, it's so funny. Um, (laughs) So we'll talk about that. But I will say for listeners um, who enjoy reading fiction, um, for anybody who knows anything about comic books or graphic novels, I actually put down the latest issues of Saga, in order to read this, that's how enjoyable it was. Is I chose the pigeon warrior over like the last major, like, whoa, how did that happen? Issues of saga. And so that should tell you that's how enjoyable it That's is. high praise. That is serious high praise. And I am totally serious when I say that. So... You've mentioned um, and we have both kind of talked a little bit about the fact that the novel is set in 1930s mm-hmm. Shanghai um, and there's some conflict going on. So for listeners who know like nothing about this, right, mm-hmm. who haven't read the book yet, is there anything in particular um, that they should know about this context in order that you feel right in order to appreciate um, how Zhang is mm-hmm. dealing with it in the book?
0: Well, um, if you're starting from zero, the, the the critical thing for this period is this is the period in between dynastic China and the People's Republic of China. Um, this is we call this the Republican era, more or less. But the critical uh, context for the, for this for this narrative is that. Um, the Japanese are invading, and it's in some this is a very critical, bloody uh, part of the narrative. Uh, but for a lot of it, it it it's simply a narrative driver. It's it's in the background, and it's um, it's pushing several narrative threads. But it's not. Um, uh, critical to the immediate story. It does hang over everything, though, and, and several mm-hmm. of the, the, the kind of the major themes um, and the, the, the major um, satiric pushes that, that Zhang is, is working with are directly related to the, the challenge to Chinese identity and the challenge to what does it mean um, we deal with this issue a whole lot. What does it mean to be Chinese if China is conquered? Um, is there a Chinese identity that can move forward? And of course, a lot of other authors of the of the time are dealing with issues of um, concern. Is there something fundamentally, essentially in the Chinese character that means we cannot survive in in this area of kind of social evolution? Is there something failing within us that that means that we are are fated to be destroyed by the Japanese? Other authors are dealing with that more more explicitly, and um, we see uh, Zhang is playing with some of those, but it's uh, it's it's a little more um, it's not not necessarily one hundred percent in the in the forefront of a lot of the narrative threads.
1: So we actually um, read this coming up all over the novel, right? And a lot of um, both the conversations among the characters and also the kind of inner monologue almost Mm -hmm. that we get um, when we read – about uh, the protagonist, and we'll get to him in a moment, deal with these questions of um, national essence or ethnic yes. essence, right? In a way that they're, co- like, uh, frequently they'll be mentioning, oh, this is part of, uh, you know, X X's." Mm-hmm. Code for Japan, right? right. X, X is national essence, or this is our national essence or ethnic essence. Mm-hmm. And as a reader, you're reading them, having these exchanges, and part of your brain is like, "Oh, haha, ha, that's so funny," and then part <laughs> of it's like, "Wait a minute, though. These are actually some pretty profound, serious issues and questions, right?" That, um, yeah. yeah. Do you ab- want to talk about that?
0: Yeah, again? absolutely. And um, one of the characters in particular, one of the uh, the kind of. Um, Uh, corrupt kind of war profiteer kind of guys, uh, Liu Zhao, is that's his shtick. The idea that at at one point he says um, they're eating sunflower seeds or something and um, they talk about people from sujo these seeds are from sujo and people from sujo really know how to eat sunflower seeds they they just are amazing at it and that's the ethnic essence of people from sujo and it's it's put out there i mean clearly it's 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 a joke it's satirizing this idea of of ethnic uh, essentialism but exactly like what you said it's it's actually it's kind of a a a, a satiric time bomb it's it's hilarious well it's i think it's hilarious when it goes on like that but then later on when it says oh yes the the ethnic essence of the japanese people is you know to to divide or to be divisive or things like that and that's something much more like you might hear a human say <laughs> an mm-hmm. actual uh, person in this world and so it's um, in in some places that the novel seems fairly... Uh, Quickly put together, not quite slapdash, but there are points like this when you see that that Zhang is very carefully building his his satiric punches, kind of drawing you into something that seems ludicrous, and then and then kind of uh, bringing it back in a very um, uh, a more a more powerful way. The um, obviously, as as you mentioned, this is tied to the idea of whether or not. Chinese people can survive whether regardless of whether the Chinese nation can survive whether the the Chinese the whatever it is that the Chinese is can uh, mm-hmm. continue um, and one last kind of tag on that you mentioned the uh, um, uh, the XX people this is something that's very common uh, if you haven't read much fiction of this time um, the Many uh, proper nouns are just rendered as X. Uh, you, the Japanese have taken over X province, or like you say, the, the Japanese are simply called the XX uh, people. Um, and that's also something that just seems like a you know, a trope of the time. But it also starts to have a really um, kind of subtle impact on, on, on the reader in terms of removing humanity From the Japanese people in the in the novel, or the the Japanese as an enemy, or the Japanese as a as an army, it's 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 kind of subtle. But I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because that's something I wanted to bring out.
1: And actually, and and um, this might come up later on when we talk about some of the other characters. But this thread of a kind of satirical dehumanization that actually has a more um, a pretty profound. Point behind it, I think, is something that comes up over and over again, and we'll see that um, in at least a couple of the characters we talk about. I think, mm. but let's talk a little bit about this figure, Zhang. Right? Um, he's the author, um, but in the book, and let's, and this also gives us a chance to really get into the um, flesh of the book. Now, um, we are introduced to, to Zhang Tianyi in the preface. So the novel is organized into a preface and 14 chapters for listeners who haven't yet had a chance to become readers, and the preface, dated to 1936, opens in the most charming way. (laughs) Here is the beginning of the preface, right? It says big boys, the story in this little book is told for you. So I think it's for big girls. too, (laughs) Right? And I'll just say that. Um, But I mean, right from the first thing. Oh, okay. Yes, I'm a big girl. And I like this story, too. So the personality of this like author slash narrator figure, and what that means, right, we can talk about emerges here. And it's really striking. And it's actually like a really awesome voice and voicing. So can you talk a little bit, Dave, about What's happening here in the preface, and how you think about this voicing of this like author slash narrator figure in terms of setting the stage for the book and what's to come
0: yeah sure i'm 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 really glad you you uh found the preface as as kind of striking as as i did the the amazing thing he he's obviously this is let me take a step back. So, a lot of this novel is kind of a Don Quixote esque kind of
1: kind of yes. story. Yes, And yes. and
0: so, as Cervantes was looking at previous uh, kind of adventure tales of of that sort, um, Zhang is clearly building a false kung fu novel you know the 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 kung fu genre is obviously ancient in china and so he he in this preface he's starting out by um by basically playing with the idea that the reader is this person who naively saw this as a kung fu novel and picked it up and was going to read it just like another kung fu novel But the the kind of wonderful thing he does is he starts explaining how kung fu novels work. And first, after he says kind of derogatory things about D'Artagnan and how Western adventure novels are no good, he he talks about how the the trope of the kung fu novel, that there are these agents – that are out in the country and they and they live you know they're they're rich and and powerful but they live in places where the emperor's reach isn't strong where the the policing isn't very strong and whenever they run into trouble they invent these heroic swordsmen and kung fu <clears throat> kung fu warriors and these kung fu warriors magically will show up fix all of your problems and then leave without even asking for payment and the the kind of the wonderful thing that he's doing there is he's making the argument that these kung fu novels are specifically built to support the the status quo, the 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 people in positions of power. And so all of these great stories that you've read your entire life, they're nothing but Kind of imaginative tools to get you to believe the morality and the and the system of, of of ethics that these agents have. So you've got the emperor with his system, and you've got these local agents, the landlords and people like this, and all of these stories that you may love to read are nothing more than. Tools to kind of reinforce that uh, that social hierarchy, and obviously John uh, Kangi is is a leftist and 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 uh, certainly of the time, but it's kind of a nice way of threading that argument into what is otherwise a fairly politically um, even-handed novel.
1: That's fabulous. And we'll see, I think, um, definitely later on in the novel as we get into it, and perhaps later on in our conversation, this idea of types of morality, right? The new morality, other kinds, also comes up in the context of the relationship between the characters and how they're trying to um, understand each other and Mm -hmm. figure each other out. Um, And we'll get to that when we get especially to (laughs) Miss Huh. (laughs) <laughs> um I will we'll get there. I'll get there in a minute. But before we get there, let's get to the protagonist. Um, so in the preface um, Zhang, this kind of narrator, author, voicing that he gives us, he says, this little book might be said to provide a how-to guide to becoming a swordsman. <laughs> okay, so that's supposed to happen ostensibly through this figure that we meet right at the beginning. This is the protagonist, Shi Zhao Chang. Um, so he is hilarious. <laughs> we follow him through the entire book. What do um, What do listeners need to know about this figure right at the beginning? Can you tell us a little bit about what you think is particularly interesting about? <laughs>
0: sure. Well, I, I I will say that the the quote that you you mentioned that I, I love so much that this is a book that could teach you how to be a, a swordsman. He follows that up by saying it's equally as useful as those how to be a writer books, <laughs> which right, I think right. is, is the is the kind of the boom boom kind of uh, punchline of that. Um, but Shi Chang, he is, um, as I mentioned before, he's kind of a Don Quixote figure. He has read far too many kung fu novels, and and bought into the entirety of it um, for the narrative's sake. Uh, he lived up north uh, in Beijing, and when the uh, the Japanese were were coming in, uh, he's fleeing with his family uh, south to to Shanghai. And his hope is that he will be able to find a a Kung Fu master uh, under whom he can study and become this kind of stereotypical uh, Kung Fu warrior so that he can... Uh, kick all, kick the Japanese out of China, um, take over basically all of Asia, and then at, at one point he says, um, "You know, he wants to beat all of these other countries and 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 conquer all of these countries." And he says, "And then the U.S. Well, the United States has kind of been our friend, so I'll I'll let that decision till later whether or not he wants to take over the United States as well." <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's right. So we follow him. So we're getting to know him in the first couple of chapters. In the second chapter, he decides, yeah, I've got to be a hero, right? So we see him kind of coming to this decision. I'm going to be a hero. He says on page 34, to be a hero, one must believe in oneself. One must train tirelessly. One must establish great ambitions. And one of his ambitions turns out to be to find a woman partner that he can- kind of be heroes with, right? So we meet this character who's going to potentially be that for him, um, his sort of woman warrior of national salvation, right? This is what she, um, this figure that this woman we're going to meet um, kind of fits, right? Um, so this woman warrior of national salvation turns out to be this character, Miss Hu, and he meets her when we meet her in chapter 3. Can you say a a little bit about miss huh who is she and what's she doing here because she is honestly like one of the most striking characters in yeah this it's, book, it's right? pretty know,
0: awesome I, I shouldn't have favorites but uh, she is probably my favorite <laughs> so oh yeah she is oh, yeah. she is fascinating for a billion different reasons and um what what her fundamental identity is a is a misunderstanding She comes into the the sheer household, uh, looking for donations and subscriptions to her uh, patriotic song and dance troupe. Um, She basically runs a burlesque house, uh, and and she has uh, been rolling with the times. Another thing we see throughout the novel is everyone is finding a way to make money or survive based on the idea of marketing save the nation. So no matter what you're selling or what you're trying to do, all you have to do is tag save the nation onto it, and and it sells better. So she's turned this burlesque house into a patriotic uh, song and dance troupe. Um, And so she comes in, and she is – Zhang gives us these wonderful kind of partial descriptions of people, um, and she is described um, in, in kind of fleeting glimpses. But she is a, let's say, past her prime, perhaps, um, very heavily made up, very tightly permed hair, um she's hyper conscious conscious of her of her um, her physicality uh, she's always looking to see how she's standing and how she's posing um, but but she's a burlesque dancer when sure uh, when our protagonist Shi Zotung hears her or sees her come in she mentions that one of the One of the uh, kind of uh, musicals that she's performing is this, you know, uh, woman warrior of national salvation. And Shi Zhaotang immediately assumes that she is also a Kung Fu warrior. She is... um, she has learned all of these skills. She's a she's a fighter. She's just like the women in the, the old kung fu novels. Um, the one they always, he always references is this this uh, character called Thirteenth Sister, and so he's always looking for his Thirteenth Sister. And so the 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 thing that clinches it, the things that he's totally convinced that she's a, a warrior, is when she leaves the the house. Um, she blows him a kiss. And he's terrified because he thinks this is some kind of secret uh, blade spitting technique. That this is some kind of an attack. And Jiao Chang's little brother hits him with a, a pebble, a little uh, mud pellet. And Shijiao Chang is convinced that this was her showing off her skill. That you know he is uh, that she is um, shown how much more skilled she is than than he is. Uh, so he falls in love slash lust but also it's this ideological thing he he knows he needs uh this this partner um to help subdue the demons and the devils of the world uh and all she's interested in is you know getting money for ticket sales and also she's what might charitably be called a taxi dancer um she uh she gets paid by the kiss let's say
1: <laughs> mhm That's right, and she's um, and so just a couple of things um that are just came up in what you said that are just um that I just have to comment Mm -hmm. on. So first of all, this little brother, um, the little brother figure, (laughs) he's a total jerk, right? He's this little obnoxious, awful little boy who's not so little, um, but he's like the big hope of the family, right? Because they went to a fortune teller at some point, apparently, who said he's going to be like Mm -hmm. head of um, some unit or some kind of commander by the time he's 16. So everyone's like walking on eggshells around him. Meanwhile, he's like, punching people and hitting people and like, yes, throwing mm-hmm. a little like mud clot at um, his brother. And eventually, as we'll see in a minute, mm-hmm. at this um, Miss Hut right? So he's a total jerk, but like it's so great whenever mm. he comes up in the story because it's so funny mm-hmm. to read about what a jerk he well, is.
0: Let me break in there though, because um, there's, there's a, so- a, a, another wonderful thing that's going on there. that, And maybe this is where you're going, but this is the, the faith that the entire family has. Well, except for Shurja Chang. The faith that they have in him because this fortune teller has said he's going to be a division commander is crippling this child. They 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 have faith that he's going to right. be an army commander and do all of this. So we've got to we've got to you know walk on eggshells, like you say. But it's 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 parallel and equal to Shi Jiao Chang's faith in his kung fu skills and you know Chinese civilization broadly. And everyone in the in the entire novel has some kind of faith in something that is fundamentally hollow.
1: Yes, yes. And also everyone in the novel is not necessarily entirely (laughs) good or entirely bad, right? And so this is exactly where I wanted to go. I mean, so you've already, I think, really, really um, nicely brought up how that plays out in terms of the little brother. But even in terms of Miss Huh, right? Um, I mean, she's... You know, I'll, I'll ask you a little bit about um, what it was like <laughs> to translate her speech in a moment, right? Because this is really marked. Um, but since this is coming up now, she's um, almost kind of – you read her and it's easy first i guess at least for me as a reader to kind of read her as sort of a caricature until right um, you get to this point on page 147 and 148 and i just want to like read this really, yes please really i know what you're going poster. for is this that is okay? I'm, gl-
0: I'm glad you're going this direction that's what i was doing you know what i'm on.
1: going for right <laughs> this okay Okay, awesome. Because this like broke my heart, right? Okay, so she's really lighthearted up to this point. She's got these speech patterns we'll talk about that are um, kind of funny. Um, She's marked as as this sort of ridiculous figure. And then um, the little brother throws this sardine can that's still got like fish oil at her face, right? And she goes and she washes her face. And she's at this point she's with, um, sure, um, and she's kind of um, in his bathroom. So the other one was scrubbing. This the other one is Miss Hood. This is end of one forty-seven. The other one was scrubbing with foreign soap and a will. Now we can see her original appearance a color like shirjowu, similar to a rotten Buddha hand fruit. In some areas, greenish. Wrinkles popped up like a dried out orange peel. Lips blackened. Spots, large and small, covered her face. There were no eyebrows. Every day when she washed her face, she was a little uncomfortable. Old la, like a sick person la, like a dead person, like a dead person, la. Have to put on rouge, add some eyebrows, and keep up appearances, la. She felt that she was nearly dead. But every week she had to go to the stores and buy all these things to build herself into something like a young, vivacious girl. And it goes on. This was such a moving part of Um, So, Dave, I'll just kind of throw the ball over to you. Can you talk a little bit about this character, this moment, and and what it's like to translate her?
0: Like I say, I'm super – I'm very happy you went to that quote because I think that is one of the things that Zhang Tianyi – and he's uneven. The the author is uneven about this in in some ways, but he has an incredible humane touch – in, in in places that, that you wouldn't expect and I think that's the best example in in this book because again she is this comic you know she's like uh, great gatsby on acid she's she's a flapper character and then the time frame <laughs> is is about right for flappers so that's kind of a nice uh, frame for her but she is brought down so human in 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 that point that it is it is kind of uh, kind of heartbreaking. There's another example when one of the other one of the con men who are trying to con uh, Shi out of his uh, out of his money. Um, he realizes that he's going to have money soon, and he has this moment where he thinks that he might rebuild this temple. Um, that it would be a good thing that he could use his money to rebuild this temple and he's been he's been a horrible character through through the entire novel, but then there's this moment where he kind of has this this nice little touch of 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 humaneness um in there, and I think it's 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 very difficult for slapstick comedy to drop into into that kind of uh nice clarity uh and and she's well she's a she's a, a great character and we can talk about you know how how her speech works or we can talk about her morality or I'll I'll, I'll let you guide where you think we should go <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, so one of the, um, let's talk about both of them. Um, Let's talk about the speech first, um, just in terms of a translator, right? So listeners (laughs) may have heard me when I just was reading that, say, you know, something, something, la, something, something, la. And so um, her speech, I'll put it this way, (laughs) is very distinctive. And that la, right, at the end of the sentences Mm -hmm. is part of her voicing in the novel. So, so what was happening again? As
0: I said earlier, uh, Zhang Tianyi has a has a wonderful um, pen for for accents and speeches, uh, mannerisms, and Miss um, Hu is supposed to be kind of the perfect melding of the modern for Chinese people in Shanghai. And so she is presented as a Shanghainese person, but that doesn't mean that she's necessarily from Shanghai because nobody's from Shanghai, right? Everybody comes to Shanghai. It's like, it's like New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she has this la and, and many other uh, affectations that I didn't translate. Um, in fact, there was one other in the, in the quote you mentioned. she says, it's like I'm, it's like I'm dead it's like, I'm dead. And she, she right. the, the, the characters are, are phonetically uh, off. But if you kind of read it out loud, you can kind of see where she's going in the original. And so not, not to get into too much of the technicality of it, what, what, I, what I wanted to push with her is that she is fundamentally of a different class, of a different Place of a different time than than anybody else in in the novel, and I did kind of go with a um, with kind of a flapper, kind of a a, a mod girl kind of a, a voice for her. But it's important that in every conversation that people have with her, um, there's a. A slight disjointedness. You can tell the other characters can't really understand her completely. Um, but yet the English has to be clear enough for the readers to understand. She has another affectation that I, that I. Oh, and, and with the La, I was actually the text helps out because there's one point in the text where another where I think it's Shi Zhao Chang actually says, Why does she keep saying La all the time? Is that Shanghainese? Is that is that another language? And the character he asks says, I don't know. I don't know what it is either. So you're kind of drawn in. <laughs> you're just as confused as the as the characters in the story are. She has another affectation, um, which is okay. Kind of more uh, to the modernism and kind of globalized, internationalized point. Um, there obviously is a word in Chinese for Mister, and uh, one of our characters is called Mister Liu Liu. But for Miss Hu, she she will say that she will say Xian Zhang, but she will also say Misa Tua and Misa Su. As, as phonetic loans for, for mr and and mrs and again it's very um, it, it brings you up short when you're reading it in 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 Chinese and in English and so I wanted to make sure and, and bring that across and again the text helps because um, I think uh, nearer the end there's a, a mr. Tuo and Hu calls him mr. Tuo.
1: wait. Dave I think it we just lost you oh, okay. right after I'll you jump said
0: near, the... <laughs> near near the end of the of the novel <laughs> yeah. there's there's a character called Mr. Tuo. and uh Miss Hua calls him Mr. Toa cool. Toa, or Miss Tuo Toa, yeah and um the, the <laughs> And um, Shura Chang doesn't know what that means, and so he he flubs it whenever he tries to figure out who this Mister Toa is. And um, I think I ended up putting it in English as "missed something," like you you miss something. Um, and so it, it's it, the language throughout the the um, the translation, and there's some other things we can talk about, but the language is is seems again kind of slapdash, but it's it's. He, John he, Key, does a very careful job of weaving what he thinks is important later on into the into the narrative, so that the 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 long term jokes that he's planting almost always have a uh, have a, a punchline.
1: So let's, I mean, we'll. I'll definitely bring us back to Ms. He um, and some of the issues, but since you've um, already brought it up, right, uh, when you mm-hmm. mentioned there's some other stuff that we could talk about, um, what are some examples? Because I was going to ask you a little bit later anyway about, you know, like mm-hmm. some of the aspects of the language or the voicing of the text that were particularly challenging. Well, interesting, there's um, for you, so the, the other one I was on? thinking
0: of in particular is there's a, a, a character that um, who, who? His name is Half Moat, um, which is again another uh, another callback. There's a famous uh, character in in I forget which kung fu novel, but there's a famous kung fu novel character called Moat of Sand or or Moat Grain of Sand, and so this guy he isn't even a grain. He's a he's a half moat, um, but he comes from um, I think Changsha or somewhere, but and he has a, a very thick accent and. Um, Again, it's brought up in conversation as being incomprehensible to uh, to Zhao Chang, and again, the technical parts of the translation are, are, are interesting, maybe, but I think the the narrative um, pushes is more important here because again this is Shanghai, this is the the title of the novel, The Pigeon Warrior. It's referring to this pigeon language that everybody ends up speaking when you come to a metropolis like Shanghai. And so the idea that people who are nominally Chinese – can't understand each other is fundamental to the, the you know the broader themes of of the novel what does it mean you know can a chinese person be a chinese person when they're not around chinese people or or when pe- when chinese people come together what is the commonality that makes all of us chinese all of all of these questions and for several of these characters I think, mishe in terms of kind of the the globalized, modern, um, uh, international world, but also this half-moat in terms of even Chinese people who have no foreignness about them are foreign. And I think that's a that's – a, a, maybe it's not particularly unique or, or new, but I think it's a fairly clever way of, of bringing that through um, comically.
1: And this issue of um, comprehensibility, right, mutual comprehensibility, but also the issue of Mm -hmm. pigeon, right, this kind of mixture, this state of Mm -hmm. being both at the same time brings us, I think, really nicely back to another um, aspect of Miss Hu's or the discussion about Ms. He that, um, also comes up later. And that seems to me to be a major, um, emergent theme of the book. This is the relationship between kind of good and evil, right? This is another kind of, um, you can call it related to a kind of pigeon, right? Um, when, um, We're meeting Miss He right in chapter three. I think it is that there's a question was she actually Mm -hmm. evil or not? And this comes up over and over again as like the issue of how to fit her into morality, into what might be a new morality, what that means is something that the protagonist is struggling with. And the question recurs again, again in chapter 12. We have the question who are the evil ones and who are the good ones? And this is in the context of a discussion among the characters where um, these Japanese monks have just been beaten and they're trying to figure out like, well, they're Japanese and we're supposed to hate them, right? So does that mean it's good that they (laughs) were beat or is it bad because they're monks and you're not supposed to beat monks. And so this, it's funny, but at the same time, it's bringing up this much deeper issue of, Good and bad, um, it, both at the same time, and this tension here. So, um, would you talk a little sure. bit? about Sure. Yeah that? the
0: the um, the the fundamental. So let, let me sidestep a little bit. The 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 yeah, of course. One of the things that makes this novel, uh, in in my opinion, kind of fun to translate, um, is that it works through a, a f- kind of a free indirect speech point of view, meaning that we there is a narrator, but as we talked about in the preface, it's not sure the narrator is the author and it's, uh, the narrator is not one of the characters, but the narrator flows from character to, to character in different ways. Most of the time, the narration runs through Shi Zhao Chang's mind, and so we see um, direct quotes, Shi Chang talking to himself, but also quotes of Shi Chang talking to himself or thinking about something, you know, as narrative voice. What that's important for here, in my opinion, is that Shi Chang has learned morality and he knows what is he, – he believes he knows what is true and what is good, and that is Chinese culture, Chinese history uh the the more chinese you are the more true you are the more correct you are um the problem is his understanding of what that means is 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 shaky his his father one of the the standard examples pardon me one Mm sec
1: um
0: one of the examples that's used in the in the novel is this idea of a splayfoot culture his father has taught him you have to stand like a hero and so to stand like a hero means to stand like a stereotypical opera character on stage so you have your 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 feet kind of duck feet out and you stand with this very artificial way your eyes are pulled up in strange ways and and you you don't breathe with your lungs there's all these things that you you have to do to stand properly so he knows what is he he's confident he knows what is true and good and right but the the he believes that is chineseness but it's not. It's an artificial representation of Chineseness. It's an artificial representation of culture and and truth and correctness. So he has, I would say, he has no interest in what the real Guan Yu actually did, but the mythical Guan Yu, the the, the Guan Yu of of stage and and novels. He he w- he will model his life on that. And so when we get to someone like Miss Hu, he, he's baffled because. He believes she is this woman warrior of national salvation. That's good, but she is also this you know burlesque ta- taxi dancer. Um, and in, in in one of the one of the really good scenes in there, Miss um, Ho is there in backstage with all of her other burlesque dancers and everything, and she uh, she starts going on about what modern morality means. And it's mm-hmm. um, I, I wish I had the the quote here, but it's it's all about you know some boys want to you know put grease in their hair and go look out for a rich woman, and some women want to look for a whole bunch of men, and you know the the all of this um, very libertine kind of uh, you know Chicago movie style or musical style kind okay. of kind of morality. Um, and that's clearly bad. That's clearly evil. But also, he lusts for her, mm-hmm. and that's you know right. a, a fairly a fairly standard trope in these kind of things. But he's he's looking for anything that will tell him how to move forward. He's looking for a guideline of some kind. And, he, and
1: he's like also. A dude yeah. who's lonely, you know? And in terms of the humanizing elements of this, it, as he's lusting after her and he's like trying to come up with. Um, some way to, well, he's trying to come up with some way to, I think, reconcile these worries he has about her because as much as he's worried about this mm-hmm. kind of new morality, um, whether this is good or evil, should he be okay with this or not? He's constantly justifying to himself why things are okay. And you can see this thread of he's lonely. He wants a companion, you know, like he's, he's, you know, he's trying to do what a lot of us do, often is he's sort of making these rose-colored glasses for himself that he can look through because he really wants to mm-hmm. be with her, you know? And so there's the, at least this is, in, at least yeah. for me as a reader, there's this very sympathetic undercurrent where he's, there's a pathos yeah. there, right? Um, where we see him clearly as a human mm-hmm. who's trying to live just like any of us humans are trying to do at the same time as he's trying to become a superhero. And, that, and that's actually basically. that's a,
0: a brilliant point because one of the things that, that I, I really like about this is how, uh, frankly, modern it seems. Now, he has he has found an ideology. He has found a truth, and he can't change that because he knows what is true and what is good and what is right. But what he's doing is he's trying to maneuver his, his actual world so that it will fit in the ideology. Rather than rebuilding his worldview, he has to find a way that Wanting to be with this woman fits within the the categories of good and right, and that's just one of the t- things where this book actually reads kind of um, very current in, in a certain way. The the idea of you know th- the fraudulent nature of of kind of uh, hyper nationalism and the the corrupt uh, way of of, of digging for money based on on other people's uh authentic authentic kind of goodwill and things like this there's a lot of in in this book there's a lot of very stringent criticism of 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 things today
1: (laughs) that's right absolutely (laughs) um absolutely and there's this sense also that um and you know you've talked already really beautifully about this he wants to be a hero right and he's trying to be he's got these models from this idealized past and he's trying to come to terms with what it is in his version of now, right, to be a hero. And so you'll you'll see him um, integrating not just these poses, right, that he thinks are classic, and not just these ideas right. of a kind of classical, essential um, Chinese past or Chinese essence, but you'll also see him looking at the posters on a wall and seeing people who are dressed mm-hmm. in bathing suits, and it, is, he, it becomes this idea of a <laughs> stealth <laughs> suit. So he's like, describing. <laughs> the people in this poster on the wall who are in bathing suits. And he's like, I don't really know what's going on there. It mm-hmm. must be a stealth suit. And it becomes this idea of like what a superhero costume is, right? So he's like looking for a stealth suit mm-hmm. so he can really be dressed like a superhero. It's just this wonderful amalgamation um, and this kind of state of mm-hmm. unrest, right? And tumult where he's trying to create an idea of what mm-hmm. it is to live now while everything is changing. And everything is not, yeah is absolutely.
0: and and the idea uh, just to kind of put a code on that piece of it one of one of the the other things that he, he, he's looking for he's looking at facades to get his understanding of what Chinese culture should be but his representation of Chinese culture is also very facade based so he 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 wants to be like the hero why uh, Therefore, he's not going to do the things that Guan Yu did. He's going to try to do his best to look like Guan Yu. And so it, it's another one of these kind of layers of the of the satire that um, it it's it's the presentation and it's the facade. Um, the, the other the other example that comes to mind is the um, Mr. Liu Liu, who is another one of these kind of uh, upper upper level con men, his his uh, his he, he leads the hunger strike of the elite, I think is the name of the, the group. And his his what he says is I will not eat. But in Chinese that's like I'm not going to eat rice. And so when he says I'm not going to eat he still eats soup and he eats all of this other anything that doesn't have rice in it he'll eat it but it's still considered a hunger strike because he doesn't eat rice and so again it's this very legalistic kind of facade of of <laughs> of nationalistic honor but it's it's so so shallow
1: and and you've you've mentioned already, right? I mean, this the uh, the way that nationalism um, and a kind of concern with national essence or ethnic essence pervades the book, and we've talked about um, also the way a concern with morality pervades the book. Um, and we were talking a little bit before we started recording about the ways for you that these are related to a larger concern yeah. with the rules. Um, and following rules. Did you want to talk a little bit about that? Because that's Yeah, like sure. Really, and
0: and y- this kind of tags on with, you know, with Shi Chang looking for, you know, the, the guidelines, you know, how to walk. If I walk this way, the, the the people who were moral walked this way. Therefore, if I walk this way, I will be moral. But it's not just with, with him, obviously. And again, going back to our, our favorite, Miss He, um, there are several times, um, the one I'm thinking of right now, she's she's in Shi Zha Chang's lap and going to, to, to kiss him. But according to the rules, she thinks, well, he has to kiss me. I can't kiss him. But then she remembers there was a movie. There was a Western movie where the girl kissed the guy. And then she goes, okay, well, I guess it's okay. And so she kisses him. And so it's it's this it's this wonderful passivity this i this this idea that well I need to find the 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 previous models and and obviously if it happened in a movie then that means it's something that happens so 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 I can I can I can do that and everyone in in the entire novel is is looking for these guidelines and I think that that speaks more broadly to the to the Kind of where we we started some of this conversation—the idea that how do you Chinese, how do you be Chinese in this new world that doesn't look like the China you know? Um, do you go back to the ancient guidelines, like Shao Chang thinks that he's doing, or do you go to the modern guidelines that uh, Miss Hua thinks that she's going for, or um, the corporate guidelines that Mister Liu Liu thinks he's going for? There's there's. It, everybody is looking to be led in a certain way.
1: Right. So if you can mm-hmm. believe it, Dave, we are oh, wow. actually coming to the <laughs> conclusion of our conversation. <laughs> there, I know, I know there is so much more. Um, I want to be asking you about, there's just a couple of things. Um, that I I want to make sure that we talk a little bit about yeah. if it's something that you want to talk about. Um, and before we move to our conclusion, and one of them um, is something that we've kind of skirted around or talked with this whole hour, um, but we haven't really zeroed in on it as a problematic yeah. for you as a translator. And that's the importance of humor uh. and satire in the language. Um, so you've talked, um, right, you've talked about, a a bit already about um, your approach to and the challenges Mm -hmm. of translating different kinds of voice here, right? Uh, Ms. He or the narrator. Um, But is there anything else that you felt strongly about um, that uh, might speak to your experience translating humor and satire specifically? Well, um,
0: uh, yes, (laughs) it's, it's, It's a doomed game, really. There, there, there are sometimes um, when you translate, and and you've done translation. Everybody, you know, most of the people who are listening to this have probably done some translation. And there's there's points at which uh, you know the felicitous, the the muse of translation comes down, and and the right words appear. But with with humor, it's it's triple hard because. It, it, for for example for John King, he he loves puns and he loves wordplay and um, in some cases I, I footnoted that there's a there's a, a pun on a on a calligrapher a, a classical calligrapher um, they misread his name and and it's a a pun about saying the calligraphy is shit um, <laughs> it it's and it's a, it's a moment. very nice kind of um uh subtle joke but that's something i wasn't able to bring out in the translation that the, this every translator has their own kind of um uh, uh way of trying to handle this i my general rule is if there is comedy in the original, you want to try to bring comedy out in the translation. That might not be exactly where and how it came out in the original. Um, a- a- another example I'm thinking of is when Miss mm-hmm. uh, Hu is – is when they're uh, going over accounts for how much money Miss Hu has gotten from, from Shi Chang, she says – I wish I could remember the original but the the English is I caded your s five times and that's not the joke in the original that's not the precise joke in the original but it's breaking up it was breaking up of an original compound in the original and playing with a two character compound and having something inside that two character compound and so I found a way to to hopefully make that at least partially funny, but also give the reader an idea of the the the, the play that's going on in in the original. Um, most of them don't come out in in that way, but it, it's 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 a losing game. But you do what you can. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. So, Dave, we've talked a little bit um, over the course of our conversation about Mm -hmm. some of our favorite characters um, and some of the moments associated with them. As we come to our close, are there any other kind of moments for you or chapters or characters that you would particularly want to direct listeners to that are particular favorites, Um, either as a a reader, right, of the text or as a translator? To be
0: fair, the end of the novel doesn't wrap up. Um, perhaps as well as you might hope but there is one uh, at the very end of the novel um uh Shijiao Chang kind of goes into this, he hasn't been sleeping for days, and he goes into kind of this hallucination where he uh, starts killing all these Japanese people. And he, he he kills the Japanese army all the way into finding the Japanese emperor, and the Japanese emperor has to bow to him. And the supreme ultimate master is kind of this Buddha-like figure floating up on a cloud. And it's, it, it's again, talking about making him human, it by showing his most desperate desires, and then bring him back to the war-torn streets of Shanghai. It's, it's again, it's one of those clever things where he gives you something that is, on its surface, ludicrous and, and silly and, and hopefully, again, kind of funny, but then bringing you back. And, you know, soon after that, he gets shot in the shoulder. And it's, it's, it's just a the, 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 the main character is is very mm-hmm. funny, but he is also desperately sad. And I think that's that's kind of a powerful moment.
1: Absolutely. Um thank you. Uh, thank you so much. I wanted to um I wanted to make sure that we got to that moment actually. And so yay. So Dave, um now that we have somehow right come to the end of our hour and we really honestly I'm could just talk Hall, we could um, go on. for way longer about this. But I know, I know. I we know, didn't even talk right? about the Supreme Ultimate Master. We didn't talk about like <laughs> the noodles that much. We didn't talk. There's so much more. And so listeners um, <laughs> definitely read the book because there's a lot we didn't talk about. But in the, um, for the moment, Dave, is there anything in particular that didn't come up in this hour, but that you'd especially I, I like to mention? I think the Supreme Ultimate
0: listeners? Master is the, the other, other one that was kind of on my list, but he... I think we can basically just leave it as he is another one of these uh, con men who is also mm-hmm. kind of sad at his core he gets he gets exposed in a really humiliating way by Zhao Wu, by the, the the younger brother and it's it's um, pathetic in the in the original meaning of the word I think that's that's kind of pointed
1: Dave, we just lost you after um, just for a moment. Sure, what, the, um, uh, can you just say that one more the time? The Supreme
0: Ultimate Master is another another uh, kind of fun character, but also yeah. in in kind of the trend, he's a he's a con man, he's a kind of a joke, but he's also desperately sad as right. well. He gets exposed in a in a really humiliating way by the the younger brother, the protagonist, um, and, and so. he he, he's another character worth worth taking a a closer read at
1: right thank you so much and that moment um that's another moment as a reader that i think you translated really powerfully in that reading um, you know you have this guy who's kind of a comic figure every hero needs their mm-hmm. master right and so like this is going to be our protagonist master um, and you see him kind of bumbling along obviously lying but then that moment where they're all eating together and they put him mm-hmm. on the spot and it's it's something like Wow, we should be able to mm-hmm. see you um, flash an aura yeah. or something right so do it now like show us your superpowers and now, and just the mm-hmm. panic that you can feel coming from him. And again, it's this moment of extreme pathos that you've translated for us. And, well, and, it, and for it's that. even,
0: it, it comes from the kids. I mean, Jawu, again, this, this really kind of horrible younger brother, but also fourth sister, the, the youngest daughter is also yeah. just calling him these horrible names. And so it's, it's bringing him low in a way that doesn't feel triumphant at all. <laughs>
1: No, I know. And the sister's calling in these names by basically just repeating what the brother's saying. And so you can also see like the seeds of, you know, you can kind of see the seeds of something um, that potentially has just really profound consequences, speaking of things that are relevant to us. Right. Everyone's looking for rules. Exactly. So, Dave, now that the book is out, um, and congratulations, it's amazing. I can't wait to teach with it, as is the case for all of your translations that I have. Um, What's next for you? What are you looking on now? um,
0: Right now, I'm um, kind of doing a shift onto uh, a a little more... Uh, research-oriented stuff. I'd like to, to um, at the bare minimum, I'd like to do an article on satire in in Chinese novels uh, broadly. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's room also for a monograph of um, of uh, Republican-era satire. There's a lot. I think uh, a lot of the there's a lot of political teleology in 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 the in the research of the of the time assuming that everyone has to have a political motive and there must be, you know, even with Lu Xun, uh, there there has to be, it's politics first. I think there's a lot more to Mm -hmm. be said in that area. And I think it was uh, the, I forget the title of his book, but Chris Ray uh, put out a book on humor that I would like to, Mm -hmm. I'd like to build on um, uh, in satire.
1: Awesome. Well, best of, Best of luck with that, Dave. And thank you so much for taking time away from that and from your settling (laughs) into your new place um, to talk about this. It's an amazing translation um, and a really powerful and moving one. So thank you very much.